Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning as we study some of your questions with you. That's what we do on this program each week is take viewers' questions, uh, the anything about the Bible that you're interested in or maybe something in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, uh, you can call it in or email it in on the website. There's a phone number and a website both on the screen. Use either one of those and uh, give us your question. Then we'll get to it just as quickly as we can and try to find you a Bible answer. Or if uh, that topic's not mentioned in the Bible, we'll tell you we can't find an answer to it. But uh, we'll give it our best shot. So that's the way the program works. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you want us to talk about. Let me introduce my friend, Mr. Toby Levering. He's back today. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go and studied up. Uh, let's see if our viewers have studied a little Bible here. We give them the first question of the day. And the question today is, what son replaced Abel after he was murdered? Very start of the Bible. So uh, give us the name of the son who replaced Abel, and we'll give you the name to that at the end of the program, see if you got that one right. It looks like you drew the straw today for number one question, Toby, so you're up. All right, our first question is, why are there so many different kinds of churches? Well, I think I understand uh, why the viewer is asking this. If you uh, uh, do a Google search on churches in your area, or if you, if you still use the phone book, you go to the churches section, or you just drive down a road, you'll usually see several churches of various uh, size, church buildings of various sizes and names. And uh, of course, if you visit any of those, you'll recognize quickly there are differences between all of those. And, uh, it seems kind of strange that all the Christians should have all the different uh, different kinds of churches and different groups uh, that all claim to follow the same Lord. Well, uh, that's, that is kind of the way it, it is. Some of that has to do with the uh, personality of the people and some of that has to do with uh, the, the different locations that we serve a lot of churches here on this program that support us that are spread out all over. Those churches are different uh, in certain ways and in other ways they're very alike. Uh, so let me address it this way. Um, when Jesus established his church, when he said, I tell you, Peter, that you are Peter, uh, and he was saying, upon this rock, he's talking about Peter's confession there, that he was the Lord. He said, upon that confession, I'm going to build my church. And he just talked about one. I didn't have any uh, speak of any idea of pluralism or um, uh, denominationalism is what we would call it today, where you kind of separate into groups according to their name. Uh, we're really supposed to just be unified under one name, but uh, that's difficult to do, and for a lot of different reasons. Uh, the church uh, that he prayed for, in fact, when he prayed in John. Uh, the book of John, he prayed that they, uh, the believers would be one, that they might be unified, and that the world might know them uh, by their love for one another. 
he prayed that they would not divide. And unfortunately, we have not in many circumstances heeded that prayer. The Bible also refers to his church as a body. Of course, the body has lots of different parts, but yet they're all one. They're all working together to serve the head, which is the goal. Well, you asked why, and there's really not a biblical answer for that uh, because it comes from, uh, I think most of the time, it comes from the flesh. It comes from uh, people's desires, uh, their pride, uh, arrogance, uh, sin. Sometimes it's just uh, willfully, you know, here's what the book says and, and just ignoring that, <clears throat> doing something else. We want to make up our own doctrines and our own uh, rules, if you will. And so there's a lot of different reasons why there are so many different churches. Uh, if you're looking for one, I want to encourage you to do this. Uh, take this book, open up to the New Testament, and look about the church that Jesus built and really try to find a group of folks who uh, strive to be uh, uh, live and, and worship and, and work and, and do the ministry of the church exactly as the church of the New Testament did it. And that's a basic plea for churches of Christ, although anywhere you go you'll find different ones. Uh, let's look at the verse that I um, referenced earlier in Matthew chapter 16. <coughs> Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the good news is his church is still around, and the promise is still true. Uh, the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and uh, if we're in his church, we're doing his work, uh, we're hopefully achieving his purpose. So. That's my best answer of why. All righty. Yeah, that's one we could talk about for a number of shows yep. or, or two, and maybe sure. we ought to do that sometime yeah. is talk about divisions in Christianity. <laughs> I got a question about purgatory. Where is it, and is there a purgatory? Uh, if there is one, where is it in the Bible? So let's see if we can figure that one out. Uh, pretty easy to answer part of it about where is it in the Bible. All you have to do is get a Bible concordance that lists all the words in the Bible and you won't find purgatory. Uh, not listed in the Bible, not mentioned, not even alluded to really. Um, but uh, so, so that's the answer to the question. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Now I did a little research beyond that to see if I'd missed a verse or anything that alluded to it. Uh, as far as I know, the Roman Catholic Church is the only church that teaches the doctrine of a purgatory. So I went to uh, a Catholic question and answer website, and it had three Bible verses in the answer. One was in the, one of the books of Maccabees, which is an apocryphal book and not in most Bibles. Uh, and the reference didn't really convince me there was a purgatory. Uh, but then they did have two that are in the accepted canon of the New Testament. One is in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And I'll just read you what Jesus said here. Jesus was talking about hating people and uh, being angry with people and all of that. And he gave this advice. He said, you should settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Uh, do it while you're still with him on the road or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Okay, so he's giving some earthly advice about paying your debts and all of that. Uh, the Catholic website I looked at said that last verse proves there's a purgatory. You will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Uh, 
And the other one is Revelation 21:27, which is talking about heaven, and it says, "Nothing impure will ever enter into heaven." Uh, so those are the two verses they use to uh, advocate a place called purgatory. And their argument, their reasoning is, is that if you die with a sin that you haven't confessed yet, uh, then you're not pure, so you can't go to heaven. And you go to a place called purgatory where somehow those sins get taken care of through prayers and other things. And then you're purified. You've paid the last penny. Uh, so anyhow, that's how they uh, uh, <laughs> defend the uh, doctrine of purgatory. Uh, I don't think either one of those verses uh, do it adequately. So I don't believe there is such a place as purgatory. Uh, I believe the Bible is very clear about that in a lot of places. Hebrews 9.27 is probably the clearest. It says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. There's no intermediate place where we go and change or have an opportunity to change or have an opportunity for people's prayers to change us or anything like that. We die and then we wait for the judgment. Uh, the verse about nothing impure ever entering and having sins that we haven't confessed. Uh, the blood of Jesus purifies us from every sin. So that's how we get in as pure, even though certainly none of us are ever pure. So uh, that answers the question. Can't find the word in the Bible, and I don't believe you can find the doctrine in the Bible either. All right, Toby. I got a tough question. A viewer asked this question. Uh, my father committed suicide. He was religious and baptized at 17. Can someone who commits suicide still go to heaven? Well, the truth is the Bible says very little about the matter of the eternal state of those who commit suicide. In fact, it actually says very little about suicide itself. We're only left with the scriptures uh, concerning uh, the value of human life. And we understand we're not to take life and uh, murder is, is the taking of life. And self-murder or suicide uh, is, uh, I mean, obviously we don't think that's the will of God. And we, we would see that as a sin. And so some people reason through that and say, well, if a person, you know, if a person commits suicide, uh, then they have committed a sin and they're, they haven't repented of that sin. They haven't expressed regret because that was their last living act was to commit suicide. And therefore, uh, as soon as they commit suicide, they're immediately uh, sent to eternal judgment or uh, in the, uh, to wait uh, for the eternal judgment of hell. Well, I understand the reasoning to a point. Uh, what that nice little formula leaves out is a couple of things. One is uh, the complete total understanding of God. Uh, God understands a person's mental state. He understands uh, where they are and their heart. And so, um, you know, that formula might work out very nice and neat, um, but really there's nothing in scripture that justifies it it's just us looking at the verses and kind of drawing a conclusion and it leaves out the mercy of god and the his ability to you know judges have the authority to to act on clemency they have their own power to say i know this is what they deserve but i'm going to make a different ruling here well I'm, god has certainly has that authority in that situation of the judgment and all so my answer to this question is it ultimately lies in the hands of god 
and he's going to make that judgment exactly right. And we might think we have it one way or the other, but ultimately the, the cases, tragic as they are, of suicide uh, are in the hands of God. And uh, he hasn't chose to tell us in his word, and my personal, this is opinion now, not scripture, uh, is that that's because every case is unique and different. God's going to make different judgments. But ultimately it's up to him, and I know whatever judgment he makes will be absolutely uh, correct. So let's look at one verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 together. Here Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the graving, cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I cannot tell you, uh, nor will I ever presume to try, the eternal destiny of your Father. I am sorry deeply for your loss, but ultimately uh, where He ends up in eternity is in the hands of a <coughs> loving, merciful, righteous, just God. And uh, whatever he decides is going to be exactly right. All right. Thank you, Tony. Let me take this moment to uh, tell you a way to study the Bible at home. Uh, we enjoy studying the Bible with you here and hope we get some questions answered that interest you. Uh, but if you're studying the Bible on your own, you can definitely focus in on what interests you. And we've got some Bible study materials that we're happy to uh, give to you for free that will help you do that. Uh, some people are probably able to sit down and just start reading at Genesis and read through Revelation and get quite a bit out of the Bible, and that's a fine thing to do. Uh, but a lot of people find that a hard way to start studying, and we've got what we think is it's certainly a different way, and we think it's an easier way to learn about the Bible. It's a course of this first course you see on the screen is eight lessons. And it's very basic. It starts by explaining the difference between the Old and the New Testament. And you learn some of those basic things about your Bible and then on to some other topics. And when you're done, you'll know a lot about the Bible. Uh, not everything, of course. We've got more advanced courses that you can keep studying for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, but hopefully it will give you the ability to study, read, and study, and understand your Bible. Uh, hopefully it will help you form a regular habit of Bible study so that you can just uh, be a Bible student the rest of your years and continue to learn God's will for you. But this is a good way to get started, and we've had so many thousand people over the years take us up on this and uh, learn a lot about the Bible. So that's what we offer you today. All you have to do is call or log on, and we'll get that first lesson out to you, and uh, you can start studying your Bible and knowing your Bible a little bit better. All right, I got a question about the Holy Spirit and how He acts. Does the Holy Spirit act through believers today as He did in Acts chapter 2? Well, my answer is no. He still acts through believers, but He acts in a different way is the summary, I guess I'd say. Uh, I do appreciate the viewer's distinction that the Holy Spirit acts through believers uh, in fact, the book of Acts, we usually call it the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but the real technical name probably ought to be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, uh, because it just is very clear about that, how the Apostles did the things they did. And of course, what our viewers talking about is being able to do miraculous things, uh, healing people, speaking in different languages that you haven't learned, uh, getting direct knowledge from God. 
Uh, there are a number of lists in the New Testament of those miraculous gifts, we call them. Uh, of course, all gifts are from God. Our ability to uh, speak or sing or uh, study or whatever gift we have. There's some people that can speak, uh, preach is a, is a gift in some way. Some people can't do that. Uh, some people can sing and others can't. Uh, we can say all those are gifts from the Holy Spirit, but there, is a, there are lists of miraculous things that are uh, specifically, obviously from the Holy Spirit. And we believe that those were used to build up the church, to confirm the Word and build up the church as Jesus' church was just getting started. After it was built up to a certain point and after the New Testament uh, parts of it were written and everybody had copies of what Paul and Peter and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John had written and all of that, uh, then the gifts either stopped quickly or faded away is the way the Greek language is used where Paul said they're going to stop. Uh, he said specifically uh, that uh, tongues were going to cease and knowledge was going to stop and all that. So we believe that's the way it worked. Uh, my favorite illustration is that of a scaffolding. When you're building a church building or uh, something, you need a big scaffolding to go up to put the lights in and hang the stained glass windows and do all that. You need that to get the church built. Once the church is built, it'd be silly to leave the scaffolding in there. You take it out. <laughs> well, that's what the Bible says happened, is to build up the church uh, to empower those early Christians because they didn't have a Bible to look at to find answers. God had to give them answers directly and the Holy Spirit did that. Uh, when they spread the Word and went into foreign lands, they needed to be able to talk to people in other languages. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do that. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore today. Uh, no, no examples of somebody being able to speak a language they haven't studied before. So anyhow, lots of examples, but that's the, what it boils down to is the Holy Spirit began the church, He got it started, and then He wrote the Word. Through men He wrote the Word and we've got that. It answers all our questions. Uh, that's what we go by today. The Holy Spirit still answers questions through Toby and I, but he answers them because we look in here and see what he said and then tell you what he said. So he acts through believers, but differently than he did in the first century. So big topic and we can talk a lot more about it, but that's the, that's the summary of it. All right. Uh, the viewer asked the next question and it is, uh, well, it kind of makes a statement. <laughs> so was Jesus in the grave three days and three nights, 72 hours? I don't think so. Well, I, I guess you answered your own question. I'm not sure. I will try to give uh, the Bible answer to the question um, because I presume that's why you why you sent it in. Uh, three days, three nights. It's a common Jewish expression. Well, for that matter, it's a common language expression. Sometimes when you use the word days uh, and nights, you're talking about uh, in, speaking kind of in general, not the specific 24-hour period. Um, you might say, well, I was, at, I was at work all day the other day. Well, you don't mean you were literally there from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. You mean you were there for the full work day. 
Um, and uh, it, when you look at uh, how the Jews used their language and ha- what the expression of the word day meant, uh, they considered, just like we do, uh, part of the day as um, that day of itself, even if it wasn't the full 24 hours. Uh, Jesus was in the grave as we look at the scriptures uh, from Friday evening uh, until Sunday morning. Now, when you count that up, I get it. You're going to say, well, there wasn't a full 72 hours there, and that's surely what Jesus what meant. Now, Jesus never said 72 hours. He just said three days and three nights. So he was crucified on Friday, resurrected on Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday is how we're going to view that as three days, uh, not looking at specifically the time of the clock. Uh, the point is, Jesus was saying, uh, and it's kind of funny that people would even argue about this. Uh, a guy was dead, and he's not dead anymore. And that's the whole point, uh, that Jesus conquered death. And when the disciples came that Sunday morning uh, expecting to see a body, uh, they saw something that had never happened uh, in in all <coughs> history, with a few exceptions in the Bible, but most folks, when they lead a movement, they lead a religion, at some point the, they come to the end of their life and they're still dead. And that's the exception with Christianity. Our, our founder, uh, he's, he's alive, and they tried to kill him. Uh, and he was publicly uh, crucified, and yet he still lives today. So let's not focus too much and get caught up too much in the weeds on the exact number of hours he was in the tomb. The point is he was in the tomb, and he's not anymore. Let's read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 together. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That was very clear, uh, that He died and that He resurrected. That's a cornerstone for our hope. That's the message of the gospel. Uh, that, that, and for us too, that while we were still, while we're dead in our sins, uh, we have the opportunity to be uh, brought into newness of life uh, through Christ Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. All right. We've got to follow up to the question I just answered about the Holy Spirit acting through us. Uh, I put it next because it kind of amplifies what I was talking about, unless we finish my answer, I guess. Uh, this viewer called in and said, Why do you think speaking in tongues doesn't exist today? I've seen a person speak in tongues and another tell what he said. So this viewer's argument is, I've seen it. Uh, how can you say it doesn't exist? Well, two reasons I believe that. And I agree with you. You've seen something, and it's an interesting thing to see. I've seen it also. I've uh, gone to meetings where tongue speaking was prevalent, and uh, uh, I saw lots of people do it. And it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, but I believe tongue speaking of biblical tongue speaking, which is actually speaking in another language, is how it would have been translated, would have helped us, I think, uh, being able to speak a language you haven't learned. Uh, first of all, the Bible says it was going to stop. And let's look at that verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, in Paul's argument uh, in Corinth. And his, what he was talking about was they were speaking in tongues and having a great show of it. They were showing off and uh, proud of their ability to do so. And the whole 13th chapter is about why they shouldn't be so proud of that. And one of his reasons was, as for tongues, they will cease. He said they're going to stop. Uh, they're not that big a deal. 
they were, Paul goes on and says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, that's because he was a missionary. He went places where he had to speak in tongues uh, in other languages. Well, the second reason I believe that tongues does not exist today is that uh, people have studied it. Uh, I said I've seen it. I've, I think it's interesting phenomena. Well, some people got more interested than I did. For instance, a fellow named Kildall decided as a scientist that he was going to figure out what this phenomenon was. He ended up writing a book called The Psychology of Speaking in Tongues, and he spent years traveling around the country going to church meetings where people spoke in tongues, uh, recording them, analyzing it, taking it to language labs. He did everything he could to figure out what this was. He never found a human language that anybody could understand unless that person had studied it before or grown up in some country where he heard it all the time. Then there were some connections. But other than that, he decided that it was a subconscious ability uh, to take the conscious out of the way and let your subconscious run your verbomotive centers, he said, your tongue, and just speak in babble. It, very similar to baby talk. Uh, very, it always was like the person's home language or known language. Uh, so that was what he decided at the end of all of his study was that, uh, no, it's not New Testament speaking in other languages. It's a practice that can be learned and is kind of an interesting thing to see. Uh, but I don't believe it's from God. I believe it's man-made and it can be taught uh, and some of that. So we can talk about that later, but uh, that's why I believe it doesn't exist. Uh, Toby, we're just about a, out of time here. Um, could you do the question about the languages? Sure. Uh, viewer asked the question, how many languages were the scriptures originally written in? Well, the original language of the Old Testament was Hebrew. There was a couple of Aramaic exceptions there, Book of Daniel, Book of Ezra. Uh, that was the language of the Jewish people. And for the most part, we would say Hebrew. Uh, then the New Testament was written at a time uh, when uh, the Greek language, specifically the Koine Greek or the Common Greek, uh, was the language of uh, everyday people, and it was the language that was uh, most common throughout the land, uh, regardless of where you were from. So almost anyone from anywhere could speak and write in the Koine Greek, which certainly helped in the prolifer prolif proliferation, the growth <laughs> of the New Testament as uh, uh, Paul and other writers wrote those letters, they could be easily distributed and shared among the churches. Today, the Bible has been translated into, well, at least a thousand languages by some count, and with many more partial uh, translations having been written, and many more that are even still being worked on. I had a family member who did mission work, and he, one of his tasks was to try to learn the language of the culture, uh, to try to translate the New Testament into their language. So, by comparison, Shakespeare's writings are only been translated about 50 languages, so this tells you very much, not just how important it is, but how uh, pressing the message is, and how badly people want to know it. All righty, thank you for that answer. You were trying to say proliferation yes, in, in Greek know. there, I weren't was. you? I was, I was trying to Got say proliferation. <laughs> Don't get me started. 
We're out of time for questions, but we've got time to answer the trivia questions. So let's check it. What son replaced Abel after his murder? Of course, his brother Cain killed him, but uh, the next son was named Seth. He is the one that God gave Eve to replace Abel. All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to be back next week trying to answer some more of your questions. I hope you tune in then to see what they are, and until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.